The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. But Isaiah 40, uh, we'll look, Lord willing, today at verses 27 through 31 as we continue walking through this summer series on the fruit of the Spirit. Today we come to the fruit of patience. And uh, this particular passage, I think, deals well with uh, this, this element of patience. Uh, you ever tried to be patient? How'd that work out for you? We used to play this. I was a youth minister for a long time. We used to play this game called, Honey, If You Love Me, You'll Smile. Anybody ever played that game? Okay. And so we would play this game, and the way it worked is all the kids, all the students would sit around in a circle, and somebody was it, and it was their job to go to somebody in the circle and get down in, in their face or whisper in their ear or something, and they'd say, Honey, if you love me, you'll smile. And the objective was for the person to, straight-faced, not crack a smile, reply, Honey, I love you, but I just can't smile. And if so, then that person was still it. They had to go to someone else. But it was hilarious to watch people try not to smile. You ever try not to smile when somebody's trying to make you smile? You know, it's, it's tough. And sometimes trying to be patient is just as tough or more, more so. Um, you know, my dog, we have this little, little dog at the house, and I don't know, it has this sort of extra sense that, that other dogs, or other, certainly I don't have, that when anything is mentioned or, or when we begin to handle chicken in any certain way, I don't know how this dog knows it, but the dog winds up in the kitchen at our feet going, chicken, chicken, did I smell chicken, right? Anybody else have, have an animal like this? We don't know how this works. Sometimes it's just in our head we're thinking, hmm, chicken would be good for, for dinner tonight, and the dog shows up like, did you think chicken, you know? And, and this is kind of how it is, that we are, we are a people almost like a dog wanting chicken when it comes to patience. We say, I'm going to try to be patient, but all of a sudden there's chicken in the room. There's chicken in the air, and we can't help ourselves. We, we, we fly off the handle, and the patience is out the window. Well, I would, before I read our passage for you this morning, the, the type of patience that I think is being addressed in Galatians 5.22, we could, we could apply it in, in a lot of different ways. We could talk about waiting for something that, that we feel like God's leading us to or that we really want or, or whatever that is. But I think there are at least two things that are in mind by Paul when he's writing the passage there in Galatians 5. When he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control... In patience, he has two applications, and they deal with either in the midst of trouble or, or sickness, some type of ill, or in the middle of some type of injustice, slander, or you're being persecuted in some way. This is where I believe the Scripture is, is addressing or applying this issue of patience. And so if you will, let me read for you uh, Isaiah chapter 40. And we'll, be, we'll seek to apply this in those areas. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Three things out of this passage this morning that I believe God has for us. The first is this, that waiting is work. Waiting is indeed work. There in verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you speak, O Israel? My way is hidden. My my right is disregarded. Waiting is work. Just, just like that, the dog who just can't stand for the chicken to drop, waiting for us is tough. Waiting on the Lord in times, at, at certain times can be extremely difficult. Listen to the language here of, uh, in, in our passage. He says, my way is hidden. There are times when you can be in the middle of something when the waiting is really, really tough. It is hard work for you. And it can feel to you like somehow you are out of the gaze of God. That you, have, you are hidden from Him. That He can't see you where you are. Particularly when you are in the midst of trouble or illness. Something that is, that is plaguing you. And you, you feel like maybe He just doesn't know where you are. Perhaps you've had a doctor's visit and... The doctor called you and said, you need to come back in because something showed up on, on, on this or that. This is a time when you can almost let yourself go to the place where you think, does God even know where I am? In the middle of miscarriage or infertility issues or your marriage is in trouble, you're out of work and you have financial trouble, you have rebellious children and you have parenting trouble, Maybe it's in your spiritual walk with the Lord and and you can't seem to ever get assurance and and you have fear and anxiety that overwhelms you at times and you think to yourself, does God even know where I am? My way is hidden. There are other times the language here uh, of Isaiah is my right is disregarded. Particularly in the area of, of wrongs. When wrongs are committed against you, you begin to think that He sees you, but maybe He just doesn't care. Maybe he he knows exactly what you're going through, but maybe he's choosing to do nothing or perhaps he can't do anything about it. You experience slander. I don't know if you've ever been the the victim of slander or false accusation or lies, but it's not fun. And there are times when you can be the victim of that and, and you can begin to wonder, does God even know what I'm going through? And if he does, does he even care? Perhaps... Slander is something that you will endure. Or intimidation. Or maybe you'll have some crime or or violent activity or abuse committed against you and, and it will continue to go on and on and on and you will think, does God not care about my situation? My way is hidden from Him. Well, sometimes waiting goes on so long, waiting for an answer that you begin to question whether or not it's foolish for you to keep waiting. You begin to to reason and say things like, well, it's been so long and I keep waiting. Am I foolish to keep waiting? Should I take matters into my own hands? Sometimes when someone is is committing some injustice against you, you want to take matters into your own hands and and seek revenge, don't you? If you're sitting somewhere at, at lunch today or you're trying to take a nap this afternoon and a pesky fly comes in and begins to buzz all around your head, how long will it take before you take care of that fly? Not very long at all, right? If you have the means to do so, you will, you will murder that fly, right? You will commit it right then. Vengeance will be yours, right? Well, 
sometimes you want to do that in life with, with people or with circumstances. You just want to say, I just want to take this into my own, own hands. I'm foolish for waiting. Let me just take care of this on my own. And I would say to you that it's probably a good thing that God doesn't put vengeance into your hands and he, he reserves it for himself or mine. Sometimes you, you can be waiting so long that, that you begin to reason and say things like, God doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he can't do anything about it. And, and you spiral into this into extremes. You go to one extreme and you begin to, to, to have pity for yourself and you say things like, who am I that God would even care about me anyway? Why would God care about me? Or you go the other way and you go to the, to the other extreme and you begin to say, what kind of God is this? Maybe he can't do anything about it. And this is the temptation when you are in the midst of waiting and you begin to say, am I foolish? Am I wasting my time? Well, I would say to you this morning, hear me on this, that it's in that moment when the work of waiting begins. And here's what I would say to you and if you're in one of those seasons where you are having to wait on the Lord and it seems like no answer is coming. What I would tell you this morning is to stop listening to yourself and to begin talking to yourself. You say, well, that doesn't sound like a good advice at all, Pastor. You're telling me I should start talking to myself? That's what crazy people do. Well, that's not the kind of talking to yourself that I'm referring to. I'm talking to the, I'm talking about the type of talking to yourself in Psalm 42. The psalmist in Psalm 42, verse 5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? You see, the psalmist here is in one of these seasons where he's waiting and his soul has been doing the talking to him and it's been beating him up saying, God doesn't care about you. He's forgotten about you. He doesn't see your way. And, and the psalmist has been, has been sitting back and passively listening to this. He's been listening to his soul beat him up over this and say, no need to wait. You're foolish in this area. Listen. The psalmist is, is passively listening until he rises up and speaks actively to himself. He stops listening to his soul and he begins talking to himself. For the rest of verse 5 of chapter 42 of Psalm says, Listen here, my soul. Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, for He is my salvation. You see, there are seasons in your life where you will begin to wait. You will have to wait on the Lord and you will wait so long that if you give over to listening to yourself, you will spiral into despair and you need to do what the psalmist here does and says, no, no, I will not listen to that any longer because God is my salvation. God has promised to see me through. What He began in me, He will complete. And you begin to speak the truths of Scripture to yourself in the midst of waiting because it will require work for you to continue to wait. The second thing I would say to you is not only is waiting work, but waiting is wise. Waiting is the wisest thing you will ever do. And here's what I, where I want to spend a whole lot of time this morning. Waiting is, is the wisest thing that you will do. Sometimes the, the mistake that people make is in the middle of waiting on something, they stop the work of waiting and they just give in to, to whatever their, 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 uh, their, their heart wants to do. And this is the message of our society is follow your heart. Do what your heart says. Be true to yourself. Well, if, if you did what was true to yourself all the time, you'd probably be in jail, right? I would be, you know, driving up 85 or driving wherever. 
You know, I frustrated, I would just do whatever my heart wanted to do. If we all did that, it would be a reckless society. And so rather than giving in to whatever your heart wants to do, waiting is wise. Let me show you this. Verse 28 says, Have you not heard that the Lord is everlasting, that He is the everlasting God? Do you know that there is, there's only one segment of time that we can know at any given moment? We have memories and we can think back on things. I was talking with, with uh, someone this morning about, about things that we experienced you know, in, in our childhood with our, with our fathers and things and how we didn't even take note of those at the moment, but they've shaped us now. But you know, the only moment that we can ever experience is this moment right now. We can recall things, but we can't move forward into tomorrow, nor can we really go backwards into anything of yesterday. We know this moment right now. And sometimes in the middle of that moment, things can be so out of control, so unjust, so overwhelming that there is this tyranny of the urgent of this moment and it seems like nothing else matters except for right now what's happening to me. I would give you two things. Number one is that God is not surprised by what's going on in your moment at this, at this, at this very moment. He's not taken off guard. He has not, he's not sitting in heaven saying, man, how did that happen? God is not taken by surprise at all. He knows exactly what you are going through, and He has ordained, even if you don't understand it, that you might go through it. You might be surprised, but He's not. And the second thing that I would give to you this morning is that God, He is not surprised, nor is He confined by that moment. God is not confined by time. God is sovereign over time. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Was there, a, was there a specific time that God brought Jesus into the world? Yeah, when the time was full, right? It, the, the Bible had predicted it. Isaiah spoke of it some 700 years before the birth of, of, of the Son of God, the Messiah. But when the time was full, Jesus came through the, the womb of this virgin girl. And he lived his life and he lived in a particular season where, where Rome was in power over, over this huge Roman Empire. And he brings Jesus up in life and Jesus never disobeys. He lives this perfect life. And then again, when the season, when the time was right, when the time had come, Jesus often said, my time has not yet come. But when the time had come, Jesus went to the cross and he died there on the cross so that he could pay for the sins of all who would ever believe, and that he would be raised from the dead, and, and one day he's coming back again. Well, my question to you this morning is, if God could be sovereign over the timing of the birth and death and resurrection of his own son, what makes us think that he has any less right to be sovereign over our time, over the moment that we find ourselves in? The good news in this is that whatever, whatever happens to us, God has ordained for us to go through it because in it, He is preparing us for glory. You may not like what you're going through. There are seasons that I've gone through that, and I, I say I would never want to go back to that ever. But I won't take anything for what God did in me in those times. And perhaps you have the same sentiment. God knows what He's doing. He understands and He is orchestrating all of these moments to bring us to Him. It is through much turmoil, much trial, much suffering that we will enter into glory. He is sovereign over time. He is the everlasting God. So to wait on Him is wise. Secondly, there in verse 28, He says that God is the Creator of the ends of the earth. 
In chapter 40 also, if we go outside of, of just our passage, we go back one verse into 26. And here's what it says. Isaiah says, Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? So what Isaiah is doing here is he's, he's telling the people, look up at night and see the stars in the sky. Who created these? Who, he, who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, is not missing one of them. You know, in our, in, when we look up at the sky at night, perhaps we live too close to the city and there are all these lights around us, but on a really clear night, if you can get away from a lot of the other lights, you can look up and you can see what looks like thousands or millions of stars. And you know why that is? Because there's actually more than that in the sky. The, the, the scientists tell us that, that right now in our Milky Way galaxy alone that there are over 100 billion stars in our own galaxy. And that our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, is one of 100 billion galaxies. As I was researching this, and I looked this up on the internet, and I know the internet's not always true, but, but here, here's, what, uh, here's what they said, is that they expected the number of galaxies to go from 100 billion to somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 billion as, as uh, telescope technology advanced. I got news for them. There'll come a point when the technology of te the telescopes will advance so far that they can see 200 billion. And if God tarries, they will at that point retract their statement and adjust it and say, we expect that number to grow to somewhere around 400 billion galaxies as technology advances. You see, the reality is God has set the stars in their place. He knows them by name. That every time a scientist reaches out with, with this new technology of a telescope and discovers another star somewhere and, and takes pride in that and names it for himself, I picture God sitting in heaven just like we would when, at, at Easter when we were kids growing up in my grandparents' house. And I don't know if you did this, but we would, we would go to church that morning and we would go over to our grandparents and we would eat a big Easter lunch and then we would go out in the backyard and we would take turns hiding the eggs and finding the eggs. And I can remember going out in the yard as a kid and, and, and hiding. It was my turn to hide. And I almost like hiding them more than hunting them. And so I'd go out and I would hide and I took pride in finding these like really cool spots. And I would sit back and I would watch. And I would, people would find the ones that were obvious, you know, you, 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 you know on the end of the, of the clothesline, all that kind of stuff. But then you'd find those ones that were really creative. And I'd just sit back and I'd watch. And after about half an hour when someone would find it, I would say, that you're going to get it. You got it. I imagine that God is almost like me in that backyard when a scientist discovers yet another star and he says, didn't think you were going to get that one, but you got it. Now go find the rest. You see, they will never exhaust the glory of our God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. In verse 12 of chapter 40, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? That's pretty big hands to be able to hold the water, right? I look out here and I see Maynard sitting out here. Maynard has the biggest hands of anybody in this church. I will, I will put money on it. If you've ever shook the hand of Maynard Emery, you know, after he takes his fingers off of your elbow, you know, you just say, man, that's a big hand. When he was in high school, he could take his class ring and drop a quarter through it, right, Maynard? Just huge. Maynard, how much water can you hold in the palm of your hand? Not very much, right? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who's marked off the heavens with a span? 
Verse 12 goes on and it says, Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed mountains and scales? What this means for us is that there's not a grain of sand anywhere. There's not a speck of dust. There's not a, a limp ball under some piece of furniture somewhere in your house that God doesn't have claim to, that His name is not on, and He knows where it is at all times. He knows the dust of the earth. There's not a square inch that doesn't have His name on it. You say, what's the point here when you belabor this that He's the Creator of the ends of the earth? The point is that while you and I are waiting, stressing over, will there ever be an answer? I should just take matters into my own hands. God says, no, no, no. You're in my hand. I'm the Creator of the ends of the earth. There's not a speck of dust that's not mine. And what he means by that is, no matter where you find yourself, wherever life takes you, whether it is into Babylonian captivity or whether it is into an MRI machine or something else, God is there. God is there and He will be there with you because He transcends space. He is omnipresent. It's wise to wait on God. Verse 28 goes on and it says that he does not faint or grow weary. You and I get tired. We have to sleep. We have to eat regularly. Eventually, we will die. But the Bible tells us that God does not sleep. He never has to stop and, 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 and eat a power bar. God doesn't need five-hour energy. God will never die. You know, the Bible here tells us that, uh, that God doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. I can think back to when I was a teenager growing up in, in, uh, in Sevierville uh, at First Baptist Church. My pastor was Rich Liner. I loved Rich. loved Dr. Liner. Still do. He's a uh, um, great man of God. And he, took, he, wanted, he loved to go snow skiing. And he took us one year. He organized this church-wide ski trip. And he took us to Snowshoe Mountain in West Virginia. And we all went up there. And I had skied a little bit before, but I really wanted to try this thing called snowboarding. It was new at the time. And so I rented a snowboard, and I got out there, and I spent the day largely on my backside trying to learn this thing. And I remember just at the, it was getting late in the day, and I was just worn out, and I was wet, and I had fallen again going down this hill. And I was, I was kind of on my knees, and I was picking myself up, and all of a sudden, Rich Liner, my pastor, who at that point was probably in his 50s, approaching 60 years old, he comes skiing by me backwards down the hill. And he looks at me as he goes by, and he says, Come on, Scott! And I thought, Who is this guy? Right? And I, I get up, and I, and I try again. And I would... That's the image I have of our God. That here is our God that never gets tired. That when I'm worn out and I'm wet and I'm ready to throw in the towel, our God says, come on, Scott. Come on. I have this. Keep trusting me. Keep coming forward with me. Verse 28 goes on and it also says that his understanding is unsearchable. You, know, you realize that we can't figure God out We'll never be able to figure God out. I, I don't want in any way for this sermon to make light of what you are enduring at this moment or what maybe one day you will go through or what you have at some point. Some things we will never figure out. We just can't understand. But we, we trust in the fact that God, His understanding is unsearchable. Sometimes we get on the backside of it and we look and we say, that's why God did that. For very first church I pastored, uh, I went through a, a tough, tough time and it was, it, was a, it, was, it was hard at every single turn. 
And, and I got at the end of that and, and, and walked away from there and went back into an associate role. And I, I remember looking back and saying, God, what was the purpose of that? Why would you lead me to that church only to have me fail? Well, four years after that, I came here. I came to be your pastor. And the lessons that I learned there served me well here. We look back sometimes and we look on the backside and we say, that's why God did that. And I would say to you this morning that, that I know that God took me there to bring me here. And something that He will take you through, some, He will give you the benefit one day of seeing why He did what He did. But He doesn't always show us why He does those things. Sometimes He simply says, my understanding is unsearchable. And we're left to wonder for a long time. And maybe we'll never know until we get to, to be in His presence We'll spend a lifetime of, why, God? Life is often bewildering to us, but it is never bewildering to God. Even in the midst of, of our wondering, we can be sure that whatever we are going through is by God's perfect appointment. So I would tell you today that waiting on God, waiting on the Lord is the most wise thing you could possibly do. If you're in a season of, of work and waiting is work for you and you're tempted to say, maybe I should just take this into my own hands. Maybe God doesn't see me. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe He, is, maybe he can't do anything about this. I would call you to, to read back over Isaiah chapter 40 and see all of the, the truths about who He is, and then ask yourself, do I feel more confident? Do I feel that it is wiser at this moment to trust myself or to trust this God? It is the wisest move you will ever make is to wait on the Lord. Third this morning, waiting is work, waiting is wise, and third, waiting is worth it. Waiting is worth it. Verse 39 says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. You see, the beautiful thing about God is that when we look at all these things, how He's, he's everlasting, He's the creator of the ends of the earth, all of these things that are true of Him, that would give us little to no hope if He hoarded all that to Himself. I mean, you know, I can go out on the basketball court today. My ankles are, are bad and my knees are bad and all this stuff. I used to love to play. But I can go out there and I can, I can go. Beforehand, I'll, I'll watch all these, these highlights of Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and LeBron and all these people. And then I'll go out on the court and I'll say, man, I'm going I'm to kill it today. The problem is Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and LeBron hoard their gifting and their strength to themselves. They are so selfish that they did not share any of it with me. Because I get out there and I can't hit a three. Sometimes I can't hit a layup. I can't rebound and all these things. You know the beautiful thing about God? Is that God doesn't hoard His power to Himself. The Bible tells us that He gives strength to those who have none. The lesson for you and I is that when we are in this season of feeling like we cannot go on, it is not to then at that point take things in their own hands, but instead to wait on the one who says, I have everything and what I have I give to you. Alistair Begg, who is a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio, said this, the deduction that we should come to from Isaiah 40 is not that God is so great that He cannot care. Instead, the deduction from Isaiah 40 is God is so great that He cannot fail. 
See, some people read all of what God is and says, well, how does that help me? Why would He care about little old me? But God says to us, what I have, I give to you. Waiting is worth it. How do we get the strength? How do we get the, the power from God? Well, it is not from our own resources. It is not from our own reserves. Verse 30 says that even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. You know, years ago, uh, I'm a big Tennessee Vols fan and, and uh, several years back, um, we went to see a game at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville and Stephen Candace went with us and Steve's a big Auburn fan, graduate of, of Auburn, and they were playing one another. And so we decided, let's go see this game. And so we go and we, we watch this game and here, here are my kids, much smaller at the time, but Micaiah was in that like early teen stage and he knew everything and didn't mom and dad do nothing. And this was like late October, somewhere like that. And in, in East Tennessee, the temperatures, even though in the daytime they can be pretty comfortable, when it starts to get dark or, or whatever, you can plummet, you know, it gets pretty cold. Well, at that point, he wanted to wear shorts. He never put on pants. He was living in South Carolina. Why didn't he put on long pants? I just put on shorts all the time. We said, son, it's going to get cold at this game. You need to listen to us. You need to put, put pants on. Mom and Dad, I will be okay. And so in that moment, I did what a good father would do, and I decided to let him feel the weight of his own decision. And so we let him go in shorts. We walked into that stadium, and 105,000 of our friends, we sat in that stadium, and we, we sat there, and, his, and it was kind of chilly when we walked in, and he sat down, and I was on one side, and his mom was on the other. He said, son, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. We noticed that as, he, as the game went on, these little bumps started to show up on his legs. Son, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. His legs began to turn blue. Son, you okay? Yeah. Before long, he had reached over to his mom and he had reached over to his dad and he was pulling us as close as he possibly could to get on top of him, right? The reality is that sometimes in our own strength we think, oh, I'm good. And the reality for us is in those moments we realize just how not good we are. That we don't have the strength to do things on our own. That instead, we have to wait. This is how we get the strength. We wait on the Lord and He will renew our strength. What does it mean to wait? You and I live in a season where we have the promises of God revealed to us, but they have not been fulfilled to us yet. And we wait on those promises to be fulfilled. We live in this constant tension of, of expectancy. Lord, when? How long, O oh Lord? And we wait. Uh, Ray Ortland in, in his commentary on this passage said, waiting is what faith does before God's answer shows up. And this is what we're called to do. As we wait on the Lord. You know, somebody says, well, how do I wait? <laughs> you wait. We are a society and a culture and a people who don't like to Wait. I call in Chinese takeout and the guy on the other, other end of the line, he says, okay, about 10 minutes. And I go, 10 minutes? What is 10 minutes is an eternity? We are a society that hates to wait. But there is there's no shortcut to this. That in the waiting, God reveals Himself to us and teaches us that He is indeed trustworthy. So what is the result? Verse 31, the last part of it says this, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's interesting that the way that Isaiah lists these, 
is in really a reverse order from what you and I, the way we would list these. You and I would, would not say, mount up with wings like eagles, they'll run and not grow weary, they'll, they'll walk and not faint. Instead, we would say, we'd start out walking. We'd say, you know what? I'm going to walk. And after a while, after I build up some endurance there, then I'll begin to kind of run. And if I run a little while, then I'll build up some endurance. And before long, I'll be so good, it'll be like I'm soaring. But God doesn't list them that way for us. God lists them in this descending order. And I think there is intentionality here because God wants us to see some things. He wants us to see that the flying part is the easy part. We would think that's the most difficult thing in the world. I, I can walk all day long. I can, I can run for a little while. But flying, I've never been able to just take off and fly. And God says to us, no, no, the flying is the easy part. And what he's referring to are those seasons when his grace takes over and rescues us. That he swoops in and he rescues us out of those moments. You and I, if you are a believer here today, if you are saved, you have been saved by grace. You brought nothing to the table. You weren't in that moment saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to fix myself, going to make myself you know, right in God's eyes. He won't be able to avoid seeing me and then everything will be good. That is not the way it worked. See, in that moment you were saying, I'm going to walk and then I'm going to run and then God will make me fly. And salvation is the exact opposite. Salvation is God swooping in when you can't walk, you can't run, you do nothing, and God swoops in and He carries you on His grace. And there are seasons beyond, after you are saved, when you are in the midst of something, and it is, it is about to crush you, and God knows that, and He swoops in and His grace is sufficient for you. See, the flying is the easy part because you contribute nothing to it. I don't get on an airplane when I'm traveling somewhere and flap my wings as I'm sitting in the, in the seat. Can you imagine how crazy that would be? And they'd probably land the thing and say, we've got to get this guy off of here. He forgot to take his meds, whatever. Right? No, I sit back and I rely on all that is the airplane. The flying is the easy part. The tough part is the walking. Because the walking is the analogy for what it is to follow Christ every single day. God doesn't, God doesn't call us to just get up one day and just fly. Instead, God calls us to walk. He tells us every single day, deny yourself, put one foot in front of the other, and follow me. And this is the hardest part of it. Because some days, after you've taken a step and you've been knocked backwards by life, by your own sinful choices, by a fallen and broken world, sometimes the last thing you want to do is get back up the next day and put another step in front of the other. But God says, you will walk and not faint. When you wait on me, I will give you my strength. I will renew the strength in you and you will be able to walk without fainting. Whatever God calls us to, He will give us the grace to see us through it. Paul knew this. Paul knew that, uh, that as, he, as he lived his life, for the glory of God, he wasn't always doing so. He was persecuting Christians and having them arrested and beaten and thrown in prison and all these things. And one day God miraculously saved him. He swooped in and rescued him on the eagle's wings of his grace. And then as Paul's living this out and he's trying to just put one foot in front of the other to live his life, to make much of Jesus, he realizes I have this thorn in my flesh that I can't seem to get rid of. It plagues me every day. God has given it to me as a messenger of Satan so that I might not be prideful and boast. And three different times, Paul cried out to the Lord and said, God, remove this from me. Please remove this thorn from me. 
You know what God's answer was? My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul's response was, therefore, since His grace is sufficient, and when I am weak, I am strong, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that His power will remain on me. Church, as we look at this context of, of the fruit of the Spirit, I do not want you to walk away here saying, you know, the pastor talked about patience today, so tomorrow I'm just going to pull myself up and I'm going to be patient tomorrow. You will have the image of my dog in the kitchen wondering where the chicken is tomorrow. No, the message that the Bible has for us is that patience is not something that you and I can do. The image again of the tree doesn't sit out there and just strain and try to pop out some fruit. Instead, the image is that as we abide in Christ, as we wait on the Lord, He will produce within us patience. He will give us the strength to, to even wait in the moment. So, wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You for Your grace for this moment. Lord, I, I thank You that You love us in spite, of, in spite of so much that would cause You to, to do otherwise. Lord, that You have not looked on us in our sin and, and, uh, and left us there, but instead You paid our debt. God, You've rescued us by Your grace. Lord, I thank You for that. Lord, for the person who is sitting here today who does not know that rescue, God, I pray that today that You might swoop in with Your grace and Lord, lead them to You. God, in our lives, as we seek to make much of You, God, I pray that we would, that we would every single day simply wait on You. That You would produce patience in us as we abide in Your strength. Lord, we thank You that You can be trusted and it is the wisest thing we will ever do is to wait on you. And God, would you prove yourself to us over and over. God, teach us, Lord, that you are altogether good in all things. That you, are, you can be trusted. Lord, would, would we do so increasingly every single day? God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what's been said and respond. As Melissa comes to lead us. Uh, in song, you have the opportunity to now take what you've heard from the Word of God and through this preacher and, and, to, and to obey God where He would have you to obey. That perhaps He's shown you some specific step today that this is what needs to happen now. Perhaps you've been striving in some area trying to take matters into your own hands and now you have to lay it down and say, God, I will wait on you. Perhaps today you've heard the the, the grace that, that comes in and rescues us. We do nothing to earn His favor that sweeps in and rescues and you want that grace. And today, I'd love to be the one who leads you to know the Lord Jesus. That you can know that today. That you can stop your striving and you can be rescued on the wings of His grace. Whatever it is, if you need to come and pray, if you need to come speak to me about something, I'll be here on the front row. Whatever the Lord is leading you to today, would you say yes and respond to Him? Melissa, you lead us. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.